Good morning. Now, I had to sit up a little longer last night uh, to get prepared because I, don't have, I didn't have the Sunday afternoon. And so Dwight has the Sunday afternoon, but then he didn't find out till this morning. So you've got to be always prepared. Eh? <clears throat> now, I'm going to speak on a subject this morning, and I generally find that more difficult than speaking on a passage. For two reasons. First of all, you have many passages. And secondly, you have to be careful you don't bring in too many of your own ideas. So my subject this morning is assembly commendation and support of full-time workers. Now, I've never spoken on this, so I'm open to more enlightenment on this. And if you disagree with what I'm saying, I'd like to hear it. And uh, I'm always looking for more insight from the scriptures. Now, in order to help us, I did look up uh, some uh, statement that kind of defines what we mean by commendation. And so perhaps you can put up the first picture. It's from the CMML United States website, which is the American equivalent of uh, MSC. Missionary Service Committee, CMML, stands for Christian Missions in Many Lands. And so we have to define our terms. <clears throat> now, as we go through this subject, I do like to systematically go through different passages, and we'll just see what we can, each time when I read a passage, I'll, I'll say a few words about it, and I want this to be uh, profitable, and so... Um, there's much more that could be said about it after I'm done, but um, I think I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be touching on most of the, the high points. So now I have had this message in mind for quite a while, actually. And then uh, a few weeks ago, somebody said to me, you know, we really need to hear a message on this. And I thought, well, that's kind of neat. So here we are. So... Um, so, commendation can be defined as that act of an assembly whereby called and qualified persons are handed over, that is, commended, over to the grace of God for the purpose of accomplishing the goals of evangelism, discipleship, and church planting in another locality. Now, um, let's first go to Luke chapter 3. And we'll look at the example of the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus said at the end of his ministry, As the Father has sent me, even so send I you. In other words, we can learn many things from the way in which the Father sent the Son and how he fulfilled his ministry and how we can do our ministry. And then more specifically, how also people who are commended full-time can fulfill their ministry. Now, I realize I'm not in full-time ministry, and if you're in full-time ministry, and maybe I should define it, I'm not, I do have a, a job on the side, I should say. I hope I'm in full-time ministry. Everything should be ministry, even my work. Somebody pointed it out to me this past week. Even your own work should be done unto the Lord, right? <coughs> so, uh, so in, but what I mean is, Let's say if you're a missionary or you're a full-time evangelist or teacher in our country, uh, 
you know more about the ins and outs and how that all works. On the other hand, though, if you're in that position, when it comes to the financial support, it's maybe a little bit more diff difficult to appear unbiased, as unbiased you may be. So, um, so let's look at some of the examples here. So Luke 3, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So here, this is the beginning of the Lord's public ministry. And we looked at that a few weeks ago um, in the Gospel of Mark. So the Holy Spirit descends upon him. Now notice there's a lot of emphasis here in these chapters on the Holy Spirit, especially <coughs> the next chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. So here then we find the Lord Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Holy Spirit. And then we go to verse 14, and there it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And then verse 18, where the Lord Jesus reads this verse from Isaiah 61 in the synagogue in Nazareth. It's, and he quotes there from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, and so on. And then he says in verse 21, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So, the first thing that we learn is that when you're called into ministry, whether that be full-time or whether that be any ministry, the question is, are, is are, you, are you led, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, that might sound intimidating. So, the big thing is not, first of all, as useful as that may be, how much education you have, as useful as that is, but are we in touch with the Lord? Are we in touch with the Lord? Are we following the guidance, the call of the Holy Spirit? This is what guided, what, what, is, what the Lord Jesus himself is marked by. The anointing, the filling, the leading, of the Spirit of God. And so, uh, that is important to remember. Now let's, I'm going to let you turn to a lot of passages. If that goes too fast for you, then you can just listen. I try to read them as slowly and clearly as I can. So now, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. <coughs> and we'll read verses 8 13. Now, I realize that this section speaks about what we call deacons. Now, the interesting thing is, the word deacon is from the Greek word diakonos, which just simply means servant. 
or attendant. It is one of those words which the English Bible translators has anglicized from the Greek into um, the English. And so now that word has a connotation of officiality, just like the word baptism. When the translators had to translate the word baptizo, they could have translated dipped like they did in Holland in the Dutch translation. They translated it with dipping or immersion. But of course, and this maybe sounds like an accusation, but in those days they were doing sprinkling. So how are you going to do that with dipping? So they made an English word, baptism, which kind of hides a little bit the idea of sprinkling and in, rather than dipping. So baptize, baptize means to dip, to be immersed. And the same word with the word deacon, it just means servant, and it's used all over the New Testament. Servant, diakonos. You can look it up for yourself if you have strong concordance. It's very simple. So I'm going to read, instead of saying deacon, I'm going to read servant, because that's what it means. Verse 8, likewise servants must be reverent or dignified, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons or servants, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent or dignified, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let servants be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as servants obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 15, that you might know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, the context of this passage is, the passage before talks about overseers. The context of this passage, of course, is the local assembly. Now, this is extremely important. When you think about full-time ministry, going elsewhere or going overseas or having a wider field of, of service, that you have to start in your own Jerusalem. Let me just illustrate. I'm in construction. Let's say you hire a number of people, and tomorrow I hire a apprentice. You think the next day I'm going to put him on a job as a foreman? Of course you don't do that. Well, so we in our regular life, there needs to be a, a time of preparation, a time of getting your feet wet, so to speak. And where is the best place to do this? But in the local assembly. Being a servant. Being available for the Lord. And so, now I realize in this section, it's talking specifically about uh, men and perhaps women that have a specific ministry for um, practical ministry, perhaps that is best exemplified in Acts chapter 6, which we looked at in our Bible study, in relation to, for example, the, the funds, dealing with funds, or dealing with practical issues related to the assembly. 
But also, for example, when you think about, for example, leading a kids club or a Sunday school, any sort of ministry or, you know, somebody sitting in the booth there, all those things are ministries done for the Lord. And we can be involved, and it's God's intention that, that every person in the church who is part of a church, of a local church, is involved in ministry. We are all um, part of the body of Christ. Now, notice, I just want to uh, go through a few things that are said about these things. So, verse 8 and 9, they mention spiritual qualities of dignity, truthfulness, that is the idea of not being double-tongued, uh, self-control, not giving too much wine, not greedy for money, and purity, that is, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. So, a person that's going to be involved in full-time ministry as well should be marked by these godly characteristics. Every Christian should be marked by these. That is the great goal, that we honor God in whether we are local in local ministry, in our own assembly, in whatever small way or big way that may be, or in a wider sphere of ministry. And then in verse 10, it says, Let these also first be tested, then let them serve as servants or deacons, being found blameless. So here is the idea of tested or approved. Now just turn with me to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 22, and we find there the same verse, same idea. 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 22. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent, that is tested, diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. So here is a brother who we have often proved diligent. So here is somebody who has shown consistent faithfulness. Consistent faithfulness. We all know that the Christian life, if you've been saved for any length of time, the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So real ministry, true ministry for the Lord, cannot be a flash in the pan. And there's a lot of flesh in the pan. Now, you might say, well, what do you mean by that? It's not just the excited moment for today. I'm going to do it today, but it doesn't last. Everything in the Christian life is, is to be done faithfully. That doesn't mean your ministry can never change, but there needs to be an element of, per, of perseverance. It's all over the New Testament. Perseverance. Persevere. Be faithful. Be approved. And, uh, and so, <clears throat> you learn those things in a small setting. If you don't learn faithfulness and consistency and perseverance in your own local assembly where you know everybody, where, where, where people know you, where you're in your own sphere, how do you think you would do if you were on the mission field? Where you're, everybody looks to you. You're there for them. They're not there for you. They look to you. You've got to serve them. And, and you think that's easy? You talk to any missionary today that was a missionary, is a missionary. Like I had one missionary tell me, missionary work is not for the faint-hearted. And so the best training ground is in your own local assembly. 
You start in your own Jerusalem. And then it says, <clears throat> in verse 11, it talks about uh, their wives. Now, this verse can actually be also translated, likewise, women must be dignified. So it could talk, speak about women deacons. We certainly find that thought in Romans 16, talking about Phoebe, who was a female servant of the church. But in any case, it can also be applied to the wives of, um, of uh, these uh, uh, male servants. And so what we learn from this verse then, that to be, in, to be recognized in this ministry, there needs to be a home life that is reflective of the Lord Jesus. That doesn't mean there is n there's perfection, but there needs to be order, very similar to what is said of the elders. There needs to be order, Godly order, and um, and your wife, if you're in a ministry, your wife needs to be there with you. If your wife opposes you or she is against you, how, are you gonna, how is that going to work? It's not going to work. So your home life needs to be reflective of the ministry you're trying to do in the church or in a wider field. That's verse 12 and, and uh, 11 and 12. And then verse 13, that's maybe a little bit of a difficult verse. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. If you're in a ministry and you serve well, faithfully, people will notice. You know, this guy is reliable. This woman is, if you give her a job, she's going to do it. She's going to stick with it. You can rely on her. You can rely on him. And people will respect that. That's not the reason why you're doing it. But then other fields of service might open up. The best examples I can think of in Scripture are Stephen, in Acts 7, which we're studying right now, and Philip. <coughs> the, both these men were among the seven deacons that were picked in Acts chapter 6 at the beginning. But their field of service expanded. Stephen being used mightily in that testimony as the last testimony to the Jews. And then he was martyred. And Philip, he was also called an evangelist. So his field of local service expanded wider. But where did it start? It started in the, own, in the local assembly where they were found and they were faithful. Now let's look to uh, <clears throat> the book of Acts. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11. And we'll look at the example of uh, Barnabas and, and, and Paul, who was first called Saul. <coughs> Acts 11, verse 22. So here the context there is, a church has been started in Antioch, and uh, the church in Jerusalem hears about this, and this is what we read in verse 22. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Now, here is another principle. If you're going to send out somebody, send out somebody that you really miss when he's gone. You don't send out somebody and say, whew, I'm glad that guy is gone. Boy, I mean, he was a real difficulty. What do you think you're going to send this guy, man to? If he's a difficulty in your church, he's going to be even more of a difficulty in the church where he's being sent to. So Barnabas was a faithful man. It says here, 
in verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. And this is his description, verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. What a testimony. The son of encouragement. That's what, that's what his nickname was, Barnabas. And then, <clears throat> verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Now, we should always be on the lookout for, for those that are useful for the Lord's service. We need to, we need, we older ones, we need to look out for younger ones to take over our ministry in our own local assembly. But we need to be on the lookout. That's what Barnabas did. He knew that Saul would be useful. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And then in verse 30, they sent money to the believers in Judea. And it is sent, in verse 30, this they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. <clears throat> and so, what we find here then, that Barnabas had a good testimony. He was sent out by the church in Jerusalem. He looked for Paul, a helper, and, an, and a fellow apostle in the work. And they taught the church there faithfully. For a whole year. Faithfully. In a small setting, maybe a little bigger than Jerusalem. At least, it was further afield than Jerusalem. They were doing that Faithfully. And then they were also considered trustworthy. That's another characteristic. Are you a trustworthy person? Can you be, let's say if in those days we didn't have checks, they didn't have e-transfer, if you were to give money to another place, you had to basically carry a bag of coins. Imagine, it's a little different, isn't it? <laughs> but that's, so they were considered trustworthy. You can give this guy your wallet. And everything will be there when it arrives. Now let's turn to chapter 12. And that's when the story picks up again there. Chapter 12, verse 25. So they go on this journey to Jerusalem and then they come back. And this is what it says. Verse 25, the last verse of chapter 12. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. So here we have a few things. They come back and they continue their ministry in Antioch. And you didn't have the one pastor either there. There were, let me see now, how many were here? Five, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. So there are five teachers and prophets that were ministering there and... They were ministering to the Lord. And what does that include? Ministering to the Lord. Not just ministering to the people. They were ministering to the Lord. That is, they were occupied in 
prayer and worship, and they were fasting, and they had a vision for the evangelization of other places. And so while they were doing that, and they were in fellowship with the Lord, uh, how that happened, how they knew about the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure, but at least we can learn from this, that when somebody is called and to be supported by a local assembly, it should be clear to the individual, but also to the assembly. And this is important. You cannot demand that you be fully supported and sent out if the assembly doesn't see that. So this is what I learned from this. If I see it wrong, you tell me after. But it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work. Not just to a place, for the work. It's a work. Full-time ministry is a work. Now, a number of years ago, somebody told me that he wanted to become a pastor because he felt that he wouldn't have to work so much. And somebody like that is completely unqualified. That is completely, totally wrong. Anyway, he realized that at the time. Um, notice what it says. Verse 3 at the end, they send them away. That is, those other, at least includes the other teachers, and most likely the church, as mentioned in verse 1. But then also in verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So here is two parts to it. See, this human responsibility and the sovereignty of God is called by God, sent out by the Holy Spirit, but also sent by people in fellowship with God. So we stand behind somebody who's being sent out, and they go. Then go to uh, chapter 14, and we'll see how that continues. Chapter 14, verse 26. So here they, what we sometimes call the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And verse 26 says, From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended. Here is the word, commended. Or handed over to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So here they're sent out from Antioch. They make this, they're commended to the work, like it says here, in, here as well, uh, where they had been commended at Antioch to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. What does that mean? They completed this work. Oh, that means that, well, I mean, this is what I take from it, that it could be that a, that a commendation could be for a specific period of time. That's what it said. They completed the work, right? Now, their ministry as such didn't finish. I mean, they started again. But they had a task that they commended. So I learned from this that commendation could sometimes be for a specific Ministry for a work until it is completed. And then they gave a mission report. So that's where we get this from. Mission report. 
And so it is very important for uh, full-time workers and missionaries to uh, keep the assembly where you're from, to keep them updated about how you're doing, what you're doing. That's, that's important. And so that they are one in their fellowship, one in, the, in the, what they're doing together with the church. They're not freelancers. They're servants of the Lord, but they're not freelancers. They came back to Antioch. And so, as it were, an evangelist, as it's sometimes I've heard it, an evangelist is like somebody who has one leg in the assembly and the other swings out. And so, there is a, an, an element of, of uh, accountability there as well, even though they're the servants of the Lord. <clears throat> and then notice too, it says, they reported all that God had done with them. It doesn't say they reported all that they had done with God, but all that God had done with them. You know, ultimately, it's the Lord's ministry. It's not ours. It's the Lord's ministry. Now, let's go to uh, Acts 20. Now, you may, now we wanna, I want to say a few things about financial support. Now, it, it really astonished me, and it suddenly realized yesterday... Did you know that in the book of Acts, if all books, if there should be one book where this would be mentioned, it should be the book of Acts, where we see people send out, it should be all about, at least when I listen to voices out there, it should be all about financial support for full-time workers. There is not one word in the whole book of Acts about financial support for Full-time workers. You have to go elsewhere. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. Now, it does mention that in 1 Corinthians 9, ultimately clearly, very clearly. But it's not mentioned in the book of Acts. In Acts 13, there is not one word about financial support. And certainly not Paul going around and trying to raise support. That is not in the Scriptures. Sorry, folks, but that's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. And this is a far cry from what we see in Christendom today. With high gear tactics. How to extract money out of the faithful. It is completely unscriptural. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, there is one thing mentioned about financial support. And we'll read that in, uh, Paul, in Paul's address to the Ephesian elders where he sums up his ministry among them. Now, I take it that the Ephesian church was a big church. This is what it says in verse 33 in that message. And I, I recommend you to read this chapter, familiarize yourself with this, with this chapter. Verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So here we find a few things. He says, I wasn't after your money. That's big. That's a few years ago, our brother Wayne pointed out from Philippians 4, 
I never forgot that. Philippians 4, where the Apostle Paul says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And Wayne said, it doesn't say, your God shall supply all my need. But my God shall supply all your need. See, this is what motivated Paul, the good of others. It says, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. People like Luke and Timothy and Titus and so on. He had a whole team of people with him. Now, does that mean that Paul didn't take money from people? Well, he does. And so what we find, he takes funds from the believers in Philippi, in Macedonia. You can read that in Philippians 4, verse 10 to 20. And also in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9. And we'll read that verse. That's the only one we'll read for the sake of time. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9. And this is what he says there. And when I was present with you, that is you Corinthians, and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. So he, he took money from the Philippians, the Philippi is in Macedonia, but he didn't take money from the Corinthians. Why? Because they were carnally minded, and he didn't want to be a hindrance to the gospel. And that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. But we need to understand that from Acts 20, the overriding principle that should guide us as to finances in the assembly is what the Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That is what should motivate us when it, in how we deal with people, how we deal with ministry, in how we give, because it's a big subject in the Bible. There is, there is a, lot of, a lot of mentioning of, of giving. But in the book of Acts, all the giving that is mentioned is towards poor people, the poor saints in Jerusalem specifically. And he even says that here, that we must support the weak in Acts 20. That's, so why, just, just picture this. So while Paul was ministering, he could have felt, you know what? I really need to get paid by these guys, you know. I'm sharing the gospel, you know. But he was working. He was a tent maker. A tent maker. He used his own hands. He showed his hands. These hands. It worked. And... At the same time, he was providing for the other folks with him, and he was supporting the weak. That was his, his aim, to support the weak. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 9, because I don't want to be misunderstood. Okay? 1 Corinthians 9, and of course, my time is up again, but um, 1 Corinthians 9, and for the sake of time, we'll just read a few verses. Verse 6. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? 
And then verse 9 says, quoting the law, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Um, verse 11, If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap, and this is what it literally says, material things of you? And the, it's an, a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. Yes. It's, it's reasonable. Uh, it's, 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 so it's not an unreasonable thing. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. And then, just for the sake of time, drop down to verse 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. What he's saying in that last verse is, you know what, I'm, I'm not bringing this up in a, some kind of a sly way to just remind you about money, so that, oh, yeah, you know, I should really give some money to Paul. Because, you know, uh, yeah, you know, but, and I, he's not asking for money, but no, Paul says, absolutely not. He was totally not motivated by money. Now, this is big. That's a big thing. That's a really big thing. And that's what Mark the Apostle, but he does say in this chapter that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. That's what God commands. That's a command from the Lord. But Paul says, I didn't use that right. And that's a far cry of what we hear today, isn't it? You know what? We always need to go back to the Scriptures. We live in a day when, in, in the world where people want to live with the government. You know, a few years ago, they're probably still talking about it, giving everybody a basic universal income, holding out your hand, living off the government. Is that right? It's not right. I know that some people can't work. But if you don't want to work, you shouldn't eat. That's what the Bible says. If you don't want to work, you shouldn't eat. You shouldn't reward laziness. So what I'm saying is, people, when, 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 you, when we are going to send somebody out on the mission field or send somebody, commend somebody to the grace of God for full-time ministry, we as, as not only should that person be fully convinced that the Lord is calling him, but the, the Christians in the assembly have to see that as well. As a matter of fact, if you're going to send out somebody who is not ready for that, you can actually do a lot of damage. You can do a lot of damage because they get utter discouragement. Now, I just want to say this, that <coughs> when it comes to giving, I just want to highlight a few things. Um... Practical conclusions about financial support from the perspective of both the worker and the senders. So, from a scriptural standpoint, commendation to full-time ministry does not necessarily mean the worker never has to perform work in paid employment ever again. That's not what it means. The Apostle Paul, he, he, he was very open-ended open about this. So if you think you're going in, in full-time ministry because you don't have to work anymore, you got it all wrong, man. You got it all wrong. That's not right. 
As a matter of fact, many missionaries are extremely busy. Extremely. They get worn out. As a matter of fact, a lot of missionaries, they die young. You look in history, a lot of missionaries that die young. It's not for the faint-hearted. And, uh, and, and, it, and it, takes, it, takes, it takes sacrifice. So don't go in with your eyes blinded, with rose-colored glasses. So um, now in many cases, if not most, it is li- likely not possible for a full-time worker or a missionary to have employment. For example, if you go to certain countries, missionaries are not allowed to work for money. It's not allowed. And in many cases, they are just too busy for that. Right? For example, if you want to become a, a, a missionary, and let's say I'm just giving an example, at Sakeji School, they're, they're looking for, for teachers in Zambia, looking for teachers. So anybody out there? Looking for teachers. But the basis upon which it works is you don't get paid by the government there for doing that. You have to be commended by your assembly. And so your assembly has to support you. You you need to live of something, right? You need to live of something. So that is upon us as an assembly. We need to support people that are sent out. But there are other situations. For example, if you want to become a missionary, start doing missionary work in North Africa let's say Morocco or Tunisia or places like that. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's an element there of persecution. If you want to reach out to people, you have to be very discreet. You can't just go in there and say, well, I'm a missionary. <laughs> they won't even accept you. But if you go in there, let's say you're an engineer and you take on a job in, uh, in one of those cities there. And then you take on a job and then on the side, you try to minister to people by inviting them to your home and sharing the gospel. You have to take on a job in order to do this. And also now, there are many missionary countries, before they accept you, what do you have to offer to our country? A nurse, doctors, teachers, and name it, mechanics. What do you have to offer? So you've got to be a little flexible in this. So if you think you never work again, you got it all wrong. So it just doesn't work that way. Okay, so... And then uh, another thing the New Testament doesn't say is that it doesn't say anything about a guaranteed salary or income for the worker. It doesn't. We trust the Lord. Now, you say, well, you've got to be reasonable, of course, but there is an element of trusting the Lord. The Apostle Paul, he trusted the Lord. The Lord will provide the need. But the other side of the coin, of course, is the assembly has to be continually exercised about this before the Lord. Are we willing to support full-time workers and missionaries. And so there's a few things we can do. We can um, pray for them, encourage them, write letters, give them a call, have a video chat. It's a tremendous encouragement. We want these people, we don't want them to get discouraged because they never hear from us. And so another thing is other assemblies or individuals can support a worker as well. It doesn't have to just come from one assembly. And so... We can make the need known of, we can, let's say, if we had somebody commanded from this assembly, I think we should tell other assemblies. Don't let that person go out and have to raise funds for themselves. That's not in the Bible. But we can, we can say, you know, well, let's say we brother, call Brother uh, uh, Spurgeon and say, uh, is it okay if we bring this brother over and he's just going to tell about the missionary work? Right? Just make the, make the need known. You've got to be practical. 
And so we can do this, and we can support, and we should support. Now, I want to finish with this verse from Isaiah 6. I have it written down, so I don't have to look it up. Isaiah 6, verse 8. Also, now, can you maybe put up the last slide and just show the points before I read this verse? I'm not sure if it's visible. Those is also from the CMML website, some practical notes you can read over um, about commendation from the CMML website. Uh, what we understand from the scriptures. And I think it's a very good list and it's very helpful. But Isaiah 6 verse 8 says this. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? That's what the Lord is saying. And then Isaiah says, And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Is there anybody here? And you have in your heart to serve the Lord. I'm thinking about what Bud McDougall used to say. Put yourself available for the Lord. Are you available for the Lord? You can serve locally. You don't know what to do? Start where you are. Blossom where you are planted. Blossom where you are planted. And the, do- and the Lord will open new doors. And the Lord might open doors you would never think of. And the Lord has done that and he continues to do so. And, um, and God's people, we as God's people, we should look for that. We should pray for the Lord to send out workers in it, into his harvest. And may we do this. Maybe we exercise about this. And may we be uh, involved in, the, in ministry ourselves and support those who uh, are going further afield. Now, there's much more that could be said about it. And I certainly don't think I have the last word on it either. So let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the ultimate servant, the one uh, who, of whom you could say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Father, we thank you for him. And we thank you that uh, he could also say, as the Father sent me, even so sent I you. And Father, we are all, uh, in ourselves, we're failures. We'll never measure up to uh, what the Lord Jesus uh, is for you. But Father, we thank you that our sufficiency is in Christ. And Father, we pray that you may raise up workers here that have a heart for uh, going further afield and to be in mission work and that we may support them and that we may have a vision for the evangelization of the world. Father, we pray for this. We ask you these things, and we pray that you may be with us the rest of the day. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.